The Bible readings can be seen on page five of your service sheets. The first passage is from Luke chapter two, beginning at verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them. The second Bible reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, enter our lives, we pray. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. We give over to our hearts, our lives, our wills, our decisions. We want you to come now and renew our lives for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. Justin's my name. I'm the rector of the parish, and it's great to have you here. It's great to have Ray Smith back in the congregation, convalescing, almost fine. Happy to help with communion, Ray. Wonderful news. I'll take a seat. 
Um, it's worth saying, by the way, my mother-in-law is here as well from the States. If you get a chance to meet um, Beth from, from Atlanta, that'd be lovely too. She's been on the, over the years many times, visit the grandbabies, but it's great to have you here. Shall I explore the text? So today is the first Sunday in the ancient season called Advent, The Board Never Lies. It's the beginning of the liturgical year, if that sort of thing interests you. Advent is an ancient season. Uh, it's designed for us to reflect on the implications that Christ will come to this broken world to redeem it, to save it. He'll do so, according to the New Testament, at his appearing, at his advent. That's the language used in the New Testament. In other words, it's a decisive moment and it's a miraculous moment. It's not just about sort of political progressiveness towards a vague idea of kingdom. It's not just about lives improving a little bit over time. It's about Christ coming. And despite all our important efforts in life, his appearing is the hope of the world. That's what Advent is. We pray for it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. Please, as it currently is in heaven. That's the prayer that our Lord taught us. But as we wait, our lives get changed if we let him in. Our hearts renewed with a new heart. And then our hearts molded to be more like Christ. Christ comes to our broken hearts to save us and to liberate us. As my friend Melissa Lipset wrote this week, we wait our hearts leaning forward to this future moment, but with our feet planted firmly in the present. I'm hoping this Advent for an answer to this prayer. Let every heart prepare Christ's room. Our Advent and then Christmas series will be a meditation on that one line from Isaac Watts' carol. Let every heart prepare him room. We will, of course, in the series, be expounding Scripture and preaching Christ, but still we're going to be reflecting of what it means for a heart, not just that, every heart, to let or to allow Him, Christ, room, space, to allow Him every space. How do you prepare Him room? That's what the series is about, as the Apostle Peter writes, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, Isaac Watts' carol begins with these words, and we'll sing it several times during the season. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Amen? It's got joy written all over it. Isaac Watts wrote that carol in 1719. He was a church minister in England, recognised as a hymn writer, prolific hymn writer, a theologian and a logician. Right? He was a philosopher, smart chappy. I'm told he's credited with writing around 750 hymns and widely known as the grandfather of English hymnody. George of the World was released in a collection of hymns which try to capture the overarching narrative of the Bible from creation to new creation. In other words, how the New Testament, and in particular the life of Jesus, 
make sense of the Old Testament. The hymn was released, or the carol was released, in a collection entitled The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Don't you love 18th century long titles? Joy to the World is actually based on Psalm 98, which goes like this. Let the sea, let the rivers and the mountains sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That's why we begin our communion service by saying to God, Almighty God, from whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And so we get these words, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth Receive her king, let every heart prepare him room when heaven and nature sing. On each Sunday through December, we'll be unpacking each word in the phrase, let this week, every next week, heart prepare him on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day room. A change from our very wordy Minor Prophet series. And today, a simple introduction and an invitation to allow Christ's room into every part of your heart, especially the dark corners that are filled with fear and desire and sin, especially the dark corners. Why this series? Well, each one of these words is packed with meaning. What does it mean to let Christ do anything rather than him force his way into your life? Why every heart and not just some hearts, and why the heart, and not just behaviour, or policy. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day will be a meditation on why him, and not anybody else. It's a very simple series for a very busy season. I hope God speaks to you through it. Do you mind if I just... <coughs> something in the throat... The series assumes four things. Number one, that Jesus is alive now, currently, the one who died for sin and rose again. That's the first thing the series assumes, that he can be let in currently. Secondly, that he's active in hearts, that there is an internal renewal possible, though outwardly we raced away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Third, it assumes that we have some agency to allow him to do his thing. And fourth, that you could block him out. It's possible to block him out or reject the invitation. C.S. Lewis picked this up when he said what God could do in your life. He said, imagine yourself as a living house, your life. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaking in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But you know what things have to change in your life. You already know that. But presently, says Lewis, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing up a wing here and 
putting on an extra floor there and running up towers and making courtyards. You thought that you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Amen? Full of possibility. The work of God in your life. That's what this series is about. Today I begin with the first word, to let. To let him begin the palatial work in your life over time. Let every heart prepare him room. The verb let means to allow or to permit, to allow to pass, to not let something is to stop it from happening. You let it happen, that's what it means, but you had the option. Let every heart prepare him room. I wonder what it would look like for you to allow space for God to shape your life, your decisions, your actions, to prepare him to be a part of your whole life and not just a fraction of it. As Isaac Watts wrote uh, this particular line, he no doubt had in his mind the birth narratives of Jesus Christ that Anne read to us a moment ago. Luke 2 records that Jesus was born in a manger because, chapter 2, verse 7, there was no guest room available for them. Now, it's important to say that the traditional image that developed over time is not accurate. The one on half the cards. Mary and Joseph were not looking to stay at some inn, like just checking all the motels in Bethlehem, but all those inns had no vacancy signs on them, and but one kindly innkeeper, not mentioned in scripture, let them into a little stable. That's not what happened. <coughs> what did happen? Well, the answer is there was a Roman census. It was required. The census wasn't a bit of paper you fill out on a Tuesday afternoon or an online quiz that gets stuffed up, but rather, presumably, an inconvenient movement of people to their hometown. In Luke 2, verse 4, we read, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because it belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. When they got there, they probably went to stay with relatives. <coughs> but the relative's house was overflowing with people, beds everywhere, no guest room available. So they went out the back and downstairs where the animals fed. While she was there, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's a fact, by the way, that there was no guest room available. It's not a theological point. <clears throat> we don't get told how they felt about this or the census. I guess the story is powerful because it's so ordinary. But there's no sense here by Luke that we need to connect this moment to our lives. It was the poets and the hymn writers who made that connection for us. But you don't need that connection to make the point of the New Testament in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Nonetheless, it's very interesting that even at Jesus' birth, there was no room for them. Sounds a lot like Australia. I've got water, Ray, I've already got it. 
You're such a good man. I got it right here. Born in a section of the house designated for animals, laid in a feed, feeding trough. Birth narratives of Jesus are pretty undignified, and we'll get to that during the series. But Isaac Watts used this reality and flipped it to a personal challenge. Let every heart prepare him room. <clears throat> Since his birth was out the back and down the stairs. This is earth receiving her king. To let means to allow, and it's right there in the hymn, the carol we just sung, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts in the same way to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, and yet in this world of sin, where meek souls, is that you? Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in to hearts and lives. He goes on, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. So I have two very simple points to make uh, by way of introduction to the series and conclusion to this message. Two simple points, two words to keep in mind, willing and able. Willing and able. You need to be willing, firstly, to let him in, and secondly, he needs to be able to come into our lives. So let me break those apart by way of conclusion. Firstly, you need to be willing in this series and in your life. What is it, 25 days till Christmas? What a beautiful season to create space, margins, to reject the business as a, um, as a protest against the idols of our society, and to not just create some space for God to be alive in your life, but to allow him into every space of your heart. I'll tell you, you'll need a couple of things. You'll need to be humble. Humility will be a key because imagine at age 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, going to your family because you've raised them a certain way and saying to them, actually, I know I've been religious my whole life, but this season is the first season where I invited Christ into my life. I actually became a Christian even though you thought I was all those years. Imagine the humility to be able to say that. Imagine the humility to be able to say, actually, I really am a rotten sinner, I really am broken, I'm not as good as I thought I was. It'll require a level of humility that maybe you've not experienced, I've not experienced. You'll need to be available, ready for a renewed spiritual life, a new heart. You'll be, need to be available and ready for God to do His thing. That's what this series is about. The Revelation reading is fascinating because for a number of reasons. One, it's after the resurrection of Jesus, firstly, and it's from Jesus to a church in ancient Turkey called, the town called Laodicea. You can go and visit the ruins today. The words are from Jesus, you know that because these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. They're from Jesus. 
and it is a rebuke of arrogance, of blinding arrogance. And I say that like there's another kind. Jesus says to them, to this church that thinks they're pretty good, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. That sounds like Sydney, half of Sydney. But, says Jesus, you do not realize, because you're blinded by your arrogance, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Join the rest of us. You're so rich, you say you don't need Jesus. And Jesus says to them, in effect, you are like your water source. I mean, you can even see the ruins of, uh, of water supplies coming from, from the nearby towns. You're neither hot nor cold. I know your deeds, he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm like your water, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. The risen Jesus can't stand such blind arrogance, such heart full of self, such curved in on selfness. In the movie, the 80s movie, the Hunt for Red October, early 90s. You don't have to have seen the film to get this reference. In that Cold War film, a Russian official says to the Soviet submarine captain, Captain Ramius, talks to him about another sub-captain called Tupolev. <clears throat> and the Russian official says, I heard Tupolev has a special place in his heart for you. But we understand that idea of making room in your heart. I heard Tupolev has a special place in his heart for you, to which Captain Ramius replies, there is little room in Tupolev's heart for anyone but Tupolev. Here, there's little room in the Laodiceans' heart for anyone else but the Laodiceans. No room left for Christ. You are curved in on self, and so Jesus says, it's time to open up. Those whom I love, says Jesus, I rebuke and discipline. I give the hard word. So be earnest, he says, and repent. He says, here I am, right? And he, you could say in this room today by the power of his spirit, here he is. No ear may hear his coming. Yet in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Here I am, he says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me, I'm on the outside, knocking. Some of you have William Holman Hunt's painting, Jesus, the light of the world, in your mind right now. He's saying, be Jesus is saying, be open to me, me coming into your life and into your heart and relating to you, contradicting you confronting you, but also comforting you and consoling you and giving you a substantial hope that you can't get from anyone in Sydney except for Jesus Christ. That's what this series is about. That room, that possibility, that potential, that prayer, that spiritual life, and we'll unpack it as we go. Notice it's not by force, it's not about laws, not about mere morality, it's about a prayer. It will be about honesty and humility. It'll be about being open. It'll involve a risk to your idols and your desires and your 
for years. It'll involve people and community. It'll be about repentance and obedience, but it will be pregnant with joy. Maybe the Advent prayer that's set in the Book of Common Prayer is right. It goes like this. Listen to this. This is a 400-year-old prayer set by Cramner. Listen to this. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and, Almighty God, put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility that the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. So first, you'll need to be willing in this season and in all seasons. Secondly, he needs to be able. This is important. It's not you're willing and able. That's, that's the opposite of the Christian message. He needs to be able to come in. And the answer is he is. He came to this earth in great humility to die on a cross to provide a way for you to know him. That's why you take bread and wine in a few moments' time. But he will return in glorious majesty to judge the human heart, my heart, your heart, every heart, and every corner of that heart, every heart will be laid bare, says the Apostle Paul. But in the meantime, no ear may hear Christ's coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Jesus promised as much in John 14, verse 17, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. There will be no sightings in Sydney of Jesus. But you, by faith, will see me. Because I live, you also will live, said Jesus. Or in John 14, 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we, Father and Son, will come to them and make our home with them. See that? One of the ways it appears God works, both in the accounts of the Bible and in our lives today, is that he doesn't come by force. That his decision to come into our hearts is invitational. For some, this is effective evidence that he doesn't exist. Maybe we prefer a forceful God who imposes himself on our every move. But that would be oppressive. You might say, well, at least I'd know he's real. But it just doesn't seem to be the way that God operates. When Jesus told the parable of the great banquet, he framed it up as a man giving out invitations, invitations that were open to be rejected or accepted. Here in our Revelation reading today, here I am, said Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, even here today, and opens the door saying, I believe, Jesus says, in that moment, I will come in to the heart 
and eat with that person and they with me. Let every heart prepare him room. Why don't you pray with somebody up the back after church? Who's going back up there after? Maybe Jenny is. I'm sure Jenny will be up there, up the front here. Let every heart prepare him room. Come and pray with somebody after the service today. It's an invitation that you can reject. He will come again and judge the decisions you make, but you can also accept him. Either way, you will bear agency in that decision. That's what this series is about. It's about what he is up to in your life. Next week, why every heart? How is this and why is this claim universal and not just for people who appear to be religious? Allow me to leave with you the final words uh, with, with C.S. Lewis. He says, what, is, what on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra four there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Let's pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Now, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, live with us, abide with us our Lord Emmanuel.